0: everybody to the politics 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 podcast for October 27, 2021. It's your old boy Justin Robert Young joining you again from Austin, Texas. But really, my heart, my mind, the call is from DC. Indeed, the Mid-Atlantic region is going to dominate this Podcast. Not only are we going to talk about the ever tightening race in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, Glenn Youngkin. Yeah, I'm. I, I gotta say, look, I'm not. I'm not willing to put my name on it just yet. I'm not willing to put my name on it just yet. But I have to say. That I'm not liking what I'm seeing out of the actions from the Terry McAuliffe campaign. They do not seem to me to be confident moves. They seem to be reactionary moves. And you never want to see that as we are now less than a week away from Election Day. We will also hear the latest on... The build back better agreement? Vote? Arguments? We don't we don't know. We, 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 we legitimately, we have no idea. We 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 are close, allegedly. Nancy Pelosi says we are close, but uh we don't we don't know for sure. And we will be joined by Your friend, my friend, the world's friend, Andrew Heaton, who uh, is going to spend a little time with us as well.
1: But first.
0: Look, I don't know for sure if Terry McAuliffe is in trouble. I don't. But here's what I do know. I do know that he is acting like somebody that's in trouble. And, and that's that's not good. That's not good for him. Now, this is, all right, uh, into my mind, the way that I think about campaigns, right? I tend to think about campaigns the way I think about sailboats. So let's say you're building a sailboat. Building a sailboat's an expensive thing. You know, or or a cheaper thing if you want to DIY, right? You know, you got just a, a thing that floats and a sail. You can do it a bunch of different ways. But you got to build and construct this this structure. You got to staff it as best you can. And then you got to point your sails in the direction that you need to go. And you hope that the wind of the people is with you. What you don't want to see in any kind of of sailing situation, is for you to have to drastically change where your sails are. Because if you're doing that, it means that you're not getting the wind at your back that you need in the direction that you thought you were going to go. And with that, you never want to see a campaign that you assume is winning, changing its topic in the final week of campaigning. And let's double down on that fretting. It's even worse when you are pivoting to an issue that your opponent has made a meal out of. And that is why I'm worried about Terry McAuliffe talking more and more about education. So here's what Terry's saying now. His opponent, Republican Glenn Youngkin, is going to gut teacher positions, and possibly close schools with his budget. He wants you to know that this is a much bigger threat to how your kids get their education in the state of Virginia than anything to do with critical race theory or supposed strong or school board strongmen. This is because Glenn Youngkin, up till this point, has been killing McAuliffe when it comes to schools. I'm going to read you a crosstab from a recent Suffolk poll, a poll that showed uh, Youngkin and McAuliffe essentially tied. Here's the question. Should parents or school boards have more of an influence on their school's curriculum? Out of all respondents, 50% said parents, 39% said school boards. Let's dive even deeper. Democrats, it was 16% parents, 70% school boards. Republican. Uh, Republicans said 79% parents and 12% school boards. This is a winning issue when it comes to Republicans and a winning issue when it comes to everybody. 50 to 39%. That's a winning issue. That is, that is a, you know, barely above water, but just sitting there at 50%. That means that the candidate that beats up on school boards is going to do well. And we told you about this. We told you about the school boards. We told you about the Loudoun County debacle that happened on the podcast last week. And the this has only intensified it. That poll that I just read, it's not an outlier. There have been four polls that have come out over the last week and a half. Three ties and one with McAuliffe up one. This looks tight, 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 tight. And for the first time, when you're seeing McAuliffe talking about education, it makes the Dems look nervous. I mean, hell, you want to see nervous? Check out this quote from the New York Times uh, in the story that came out on Tuesday. It's a nervous-as-hell donor sweating through his tracksuit. Quote, the party is single-handedly torpedoing Terry McAuliffe, said a, a trial lawyer in Florida who donates a lot to the party nationally and to McAuliffe in Virginia. And I think that if Terry loses, Democrats need to grab a hold of themselves because the midterms are going to be a bloodbath. Ah. If that sounds familiar to you, the idea that a donor would be very mad at the party not supporting his support of Terry McAuliffe, that's because both McAuliffe's campaign and commentators have been blaming... Biden, and the Democrats for the past month. If this is close, if Terry loses, blame the president. Blame the progressives in Congress for not supporting Biden. Blame Joe Manchin for not giving in. This was supposed to be easy. Biden was the competent government guy. He now has both houses of Congress and the White House. He's supposed to get stuff through. but. Even if by the time you hear this, there is a signed build back, better bill and everyone's happy about it. Joe Manchin and and, and Bernie Sanders uh, both do a simultaneous backflip. Uh, Kirsten Cinema and, and uh, uh, AOC uh, just are, are, are pounding shots together. Like, like like let's let's say that that happens. I don't know if it matters in Virginia in the way that a lot of people think it might. Because all politics are local. Aside from the residents of Northern Virginia who literally work in federal government, the average Virginia voter cares more about local school board trends than any kind of social safety net bill that'll take a year to unfurl. Now, in three years... Will Virginia voters be uh, single-issue zealots about something that's in that bill? Maybe. But now, an election that takes place a week ago, or a week from now, rather, I don't think so, Fred. All right, I'm going to end on this. I know that many of you did not love my interview with Brian Sack a few months ago. If you don't remember the name, uh, he is the normally very, very funny comedian who was deadly serious and and downright spitting mad when it came to the fact that his son's school in his mind was taken over and, and made worse, far worse, by a racist intervention from a diversity counselor. You don't have to like that point. I mean, hell, uh, even though I like Brian, you you don't have to like Brian Sack. But if part of the point of you listening to this podcast is understanding the tactics of politics, understanding the reality of what it takes to get elected, understanding the people the people that you need to get into a booth to hit your button more than they hit the button of the other guy then you do need to understand his anger you have to understand that parents are single issue voters when it comes to their kids and if the majority of virginia parents don't have faith in school boards then this is yunkins ticket to a win, the more he beats up on it. And McAuliffe better hope that being able to pivot to say, yeah, but also he's going to take away the ability for your kids to learn at all is a winning way to mitigate his losses. Oh, geez. I, I hate doing these segments sometimes. I, I hate doing these segments when news is still breaking and things are going on. But here we are. This is the latest at the point that I'm recording this, which is about midday on Tuesday with the Build Back Better framework. Nancy Pelosi met with House Democrats to say that an agreement on Build Back Better would come up sometime either today or tomorrow. This will allegedly include a billionaire's tax instead of a rate hike. That was one of the cinema demands. What the billionaire's tax will look like, it will likely include some kind of a wealth tax. So that means that you will be taxed on unrealized gains up to and including stocks and artwork. If you are past a certain level. Now, some of the uh, opponents of that bill are saying that it might not be constitutional. It's not a traditional tax hike. And also when you're specifically going after billionaires with a new law, billionaires have a very, very, very nasty habit of figuring out ways that they can avoid that law. But still, Uh, uh, that is the path that they are on right now. Here's what we don't know. We don't know what kind of climate change is in there. We assume that there will be no immigration stuff in there and we have very little idea on either the scope of some of the social safety net stuff that'll be in there up to and including closing the Medicare gap, uh, hearing dental and vision, Blah blah blah. Uh, we we have no idea, nor do we have any idea what um, time frame will be on some of these packages. Now, Democrats do seem very bullish that there will be an agreement, and Biden wants a vote on the infrastructure bill, ASAP, as soon as an agreement from Mansion and Cinema and the rest of the Senate Democrats. Have They have one with the House that basically says, cool, we're going to pass this bill, no amendments, it gets passed, both houses, bada-bing-bang-boom. Meanwhile, in Congress, and specifically in the House, you've got the uh, Progressive Caucus leader Pramila Jayapal saying, well, I mean, if we're already close to the actual bill— then maybe we don't vote immediately on the the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just wait. You know, if we're that close to it, why don't we just wait? We would prefer, as we have always said, being the progressives, that we're going to pass the BBB and then we'll pass the BIF. Then we'll pass the bipartisan infrastructure. So here's the reality. The reality is that Biden wants something in hand because as of today, as of Wednesday, he's off. He's in Rome and then he's in Glasgow. He's got two massive UN climate change meetings wherein he has to project a leadership role in terms of reducing... Greenhouse gases, according to Punchbowl, the White House has already shifted their talking points away from the climate change provisions that were supposed to be in the BBB and toward the bipartisan infrastructure bills, green infrastructure investments. That gives you a sense of how confident they are that they will have one and not the other. I told this to everybody listening on the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. I will repeat it for you here. The people to watch are the progressives Bernie, Jayapal, AOC. Are they going to blanch at the fact that Manchin won? He won. Bernie wanted six, Bernie compromised the 3.5. Uh- Mansion said zero. Okay, fine. One point five trillion. And guess where they're going to land at? One point five trillion. That's where they're going to land at. Will the progressives say we're not going to take half a loaf on this? Because to be totally honest, if you were to to, to rewind all this stuff way 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 back. When the progressives put the brakes on voting for the bipartisan infrastructure package, and you were to ask them, "Hey, uh, uh, what do you think would happen if we, if you if you pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill," they probably say something like, "Well, I think the BBB would pass, but it would not have blah 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 blah." And I think all the blah 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 is literally the stuff that got cut out. It's the stuff that got cut out. It's not there. So, that's what you got to look for. You got to look for, like, it, are the progressives willing to fight one more time on this? Because we are coming to a time for choosing. There already was one and they held firm. But they didn't really get much for their, for their effort. Will they do it again? That's the question. Ladies and gentlemen You always know The way to support this show And that is by heading on over To TechpoliticsSeriously.com. Again, com. Heading out of here Out of the Lone Star State On my way to Old Virginia That's where we're going to see the end Of this Yunkin-McAuliffe clash You know, by the way Just DM'd with our friend uh, Evan Scrimshaw, our lines guy, our political betting guy. He has been watching this uh, Virginia race very, very, very closely. I just DM'd him. I slid in his DMs and I said, still McAuliffe minus eight? So McAuliffe will win by eight points? And he said, yes. Those polls are trash. He does not believe that this is a tied race. He believes that this is still a big, wide open contest and McAuliffe is cruising. So does that mean that McAuliffe is maybe panicking a little bit? Does it mean that McAuliffe is a little unsure? Maybe he's buying into the hype. Maybe he and his staff is buying in to to these polls. We don't know. But Scrimshaw thinks that it's a... It's still a done deal. And I I tend to think that it's going to be very hard for McAuliffe to win. But anyway, if you want all the coverage of this race, specifically the extra Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show that will not only cover all of the Sunday programming, but also anything that I go out and cover on the trail on Sunday, uh, well, you got to go over to take politics seriously. Dot com. Right now, $3 uh, pledge per week gets you two bonus podcasts per week. I'm telling you, it, it, it's, it's a good time to get on the trade. Right now. I don't know why I'm Seinfeld. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is just a sweet, sweet man. He's a very smart human being. He's a hilarious person. He's a dapper dresser. And you want to know what, friends? He's just a good soul. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Heaton joins us yet again. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Andrew Heaton. A pleasure to be here. Hello, Justin. Now, not only are you among my favorite people to talk politics with in general, but you you also happen to have a career uh, before this as a sterling political pundit, as somebody who worked in Congress. So Mm -hmm. when I, I contacted you to to come on, what what popped into my mind is as we are now, I mean, like, look, this is one of those episodes where I've already recorded the segment about what's happening with Congress. Uh It's changed three times since I started editing and scheduling like interviews and stuff like that. So I might have to rerecord it. A lot's changing. A lot's happening. We are in the 11th hour of the 11th hour of the once delayed 11th hour. Uh, You having been there, have a little Mm -hmm. bit more of a sense of how things feel, uh, what's, what's happening right now as, 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 Party line votes are, are 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 gonna be very, very thin. You can't have anybody falling, falling out. Yeah. So so give me, give me a sense. Give the audience a sense of what this feels like.
1: So remember that I intuitively glom on to people that are in the middle of the battlefield and will be struck down by partisan bullets. Yes. That was very much That's your what favorite. I was doing. That's my favorite is I, I go, who's the Lib Dem equivalent in this situation? Who's the who's the, the, the person that's going to get get absolutely smacked? So I've not been on the side of this of, uh, oh, we've got a ton of pressure because we've got to get this, uh, you know, uh, omnibus bill passed or, or Congress shuts down. I think we I think that happened when I was on the Hill, but, it, but it, we, there wasn't really a significant threat of that occurring. Um, we had that, that had, it had occurred the, the year prior to me being there. Yeah. Uh, which was super fun for the Republicans because the Republicans would bring in like they would like the lights are all off and they'd take tour groups into the the house proper and show them how they you know the lights were off and they could make it a big deal. Uh, and then it happened again, <laughs> oh, this when this, I was this, getting my, this is a big government shutdown situation where, yes, got gotcha. you b- b- back when they weren't like just kind of a like a, a the equivalent of Arbor Day where you could predict it. yeah, like now that's the thing. Yeah. Now just every year the government's gonna shut down for some amount of time. It was actually big, big back in the day when it first, was happening like it used to happen once every eight years now it happens every year i mean geez, it um, it,
0: it, it unsettled uh bill clinton so much he he started banging monica or quote unquote banging <laughs> i don't want to
1: dig up that but mm-hmm. poor guy well you know I'm, I'm glad she could be there for him uh to, to to make that work what so so i'll say like what the 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 high pressure moments that i recall and, and i should preface this i was on the constituent side of this. Uh, I would have loved to work in policy. Yeah. I didn't work on the Hill long enough to work in policy. So I, I wasn't the one making decisions on this or, or briefing the, the congressman. I, I was, I was getting screamed at by constituents. Gotcha. That was my job. And, uh, and in that capacity, I was still advising the congressman because I was there during the Obamacare vote on the ACA. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so, so to, 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 uh, uh take which me. was contentious. Yeah. Justin. A little,
0: little bit. People don't remember. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, uh, how, how much of a, how much of a fight that was. That was that was a I, that was a knockdown, drag out fight. So uh, remind everybody where I this absolutely is. heard
1: from every single person's parent that's currently listening to this program. If, you, if <laughs> they all called if you. you if you have a parent over 55 that has any tendency to yell at people, I absolutely spoke to them on the phone at some point, despite the fact they were not from, uh, I believe it's the 17th district of Pennsylvania, Okay, uh, which is uh, Harrisburg up through Pottsville is is where I was, who I was working for. City so of, kind of lights. City of lights. Great, great place. Beautiful part of the country. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was working for them, uh, and and that was super high pressure. Uh, both both uh, in terms of the the politique of of the member, and and just in terms of me having to get screamed at all the time. Yeah. So Tim Tim was he's now, oh gosh, he, I want to say he runs the Soviet Liquor Board of Pennsylvania or something. <laughs> I think that's why where he wound up. Uh, but back in the day when he was still a member of Congress before he got primaried. Uh, uh, he was a blue dog Democrat, uh, which I know I've spoken about on the program before, but, but blue dog Democrats were moderate to conservative Democrats, however you want to define that. And they came in many shapes and forms. Yeah. Uh, Tim, Tim was now
0: like the only person for whom would even remotely resemble that is is Joe Manchin. I mean, Joe Manchin Manchin, and then uh, uh, I'd say Kristen Sinema, maybe. She's her own brand of of uh, yeah yeah of of, of well you
1: I like like to to tip that I wouldn't have said this back in the day but now that I've been gone for a yeah. while the, the the like blue dog conservative could mean fiscally responsible Democrat, or it could mean Democrat that was slightly uncomfortable around black people. Like it could, it could be a, it could be uh, a socially conservative Democrat, or it could be a fiscally conservative Democrat. And and back in the day, that second one was all the Democrats, (laughs) you
0: know, at least, at least the Democrats. (laughs) Yeah, we go far enough back. Yeah. yeah, uh, Before before my time.
1: For sure. Uh, But, but, but Tim, Tim was in that category of, he was in favor of uh, having a balanced budget or at least having federal spending caps. He, He was concerned with with the the maintenance of of federal spending in something tethered to math and a finite supply of resources, and hats off to him in that regard. At the same time, he was a really big trade guy. He was a protectionist, so he he was he had he had nuanced opinions across the board, and uh, he he was definitely relying on us to get a feel for how the district was going on that. Uh, he did not reveal how he was going to vote. I think until the day of, uh, he he played his cards very close to his chest. I suspect in retrospect that Tim was doing that in order to leverage his position as best he could yeah. so that uh, Nancy Pelosi didn't know how he was going to vote. So he'd go, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I can't really get behind it. But if you did this one thing, he ended up voting no on it uh, and uh, uh, probably got primaried as a result of it. That probably cost him the election subsequently against another Democrat who then in turn lost to another Republican. So well done, everybody, for that one. <laughs> and uh uh, but I but I I spoke to a ton of people and he and he was actively wanting to hear from constituents on that one like like normally I'd say most members of Congress aren't really divided on on the the basic issues that are pertinent to their district if you're from a corn growing district your your congressman doesn't want to hear from you on corn subsidies yeah. he's going to give you corn subsidies but there there are certain issues that are like that in our case we were relying on faxes which are horrible and and just useless. Uh, and then and then to a great extent, just, you know, what are what are people saying when they call you? And and are they from the district? Because, again, I heard from a ton of angry, retired, unemployed people that called every member of Congress every single day, despite the fact that we don't care what you think, because you don't live in our district and you don't understand how democracy works. So sorry. So that's are, this, that's the, the anger comes out. I still oh, have a I, know, lot of I love, anger it, I love it. I love w- it.
0: I want to channel it. So bring me back. You're on the phone. What is the Andrew Heaton phone tree to determine that somebody is or is not from that congressional district in oh, Pennsylvania? Oh,
1: I, I had a whole thing. And I'll say this. and I, It pains me to say this because I am a, a beloved native scion of Oklahoma. Yeah. But the, the, the callers from Oklahoma were much worse than the callers in Pennsylvania. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what the, I don't know why it was, but because I started out working for Dan Boren, who is a Blue Dog Democrat from Eastern Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and some of the meanest most vitriolic things I've ever heard in my life came from constituents that were calling at that time. And they were usually Republicans. Give me, give were, me, give
0: me the worst. Give me the worst. I'll, I'll bleep it if we have to. Yeah, sure. Hold on. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. He's standing up now. You
1: f- are ruining our business. I hate you.
0: God damn you. God damn you. I hope you die. You f- Nancy Pelosi. You should all go to hell. You traitors. You traitors. F-ing bastards. He's red faced. He stood up. He took five steps beyond the mic, and he is now red faced, screaming, "Brava! What a performance for Andrew Heaton as angry Oklahoman uh, uh, calling to scream at a hapless
1: aide." There, there was one specific guy who would do that. I would usually have to like excuse myself and take a walk around uh, Cannon House to to calm myself down. I can't fathom that man is still alive based on his blood pressure uh-huh. uh but but call, calls like that so um uh, the, the ones uh, like even though those are impolite um you call your congressman like i'd say unless you're unless you're making a death threat or you're you're dropping f bombs and things at yeah. that point i the staff doesn't have to listen to you if you if you're going to be swearing at them and things like that but if but if you got a a hot and passionate opinion go for it um <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm Oh no. Yeah. He c- catch my breath. Uh, well, I would imagine that the man but, who but, is- but what, what, what what I when I started doing our work for the Pennsylvania office to preempt that yeah. is I I would try and communicate one, I'm a human being. Um so I'd pick up and go, Hi, this is Andrew. Uh who am I speaking to? Uh, that way I'd get their name. Yeah. And then and then pretty quick I'd i talk to them, you know, and where are you calling from? Uh and if they were calling from Pennsylvania, we would take the call. Um, uh, just because, you know, to kind of be neighborly, but I would say like, you know, we're, we're not actually, if, if you're in Pittsburgh, we're not actually your congressman. Do you want me to direct you to yeah. your congressman? Uh, and if they were calling from like Montana or something, if there weren't other calls, I might talk to him for a minute. Uh, but a lot of the time, like during, uh, the ACA vote, he'd be like, look, like I, my, our job here and the, the job of the congressman is to hear from his district. From so I, I need yeah. to let you go. So that we can hear from our con- from our, our constituents. So you
0: didn't hit him with a due to a high call volume. Uh, we are no longer taking random phone
1: calls. Uh, uh, please no. Call I your i, district. I have to say I was I was not nearly so flippant or glib uh, as I as I could have been. But this is also like twenty four year old like like very Fresh excited face, to work on Apple the hill. Cheats, Heaton. Andrew Heaton. right? This is you know I, I still looked forty seven, but I <laughs> inside I felt much younger. And then I, I took I took my responsibilities very, very seriously and uh, was also very careful like when people would call and like, how can you possibly, what, Like, what do you think about this? I'd, I'd go, you know, uh, I I am not here representing myself. Like, if if I'm ever in Pennsylvania and you happen to see me, I would love to get a drink with you and tell you what I think. Yeah. But here in this official capacity, I, I'm representing the district and I'm representing the member. And it's really only your opinion and the congressman's opinion who counts in this equation. I'm just a conduit between the two of you.
0: I would imagine that even the person who's screaming and cursing at you, uh, I, I don't know how you recorded everything, be it paper or a spreadsheet, but at least that's a quick and easy uh, mad, <laughs> like uh, uh, this person <laughs> angry, angry at this thing or well, uh, the, uh, uh, the- uh, uh, very much for this thing. Thank you very much. You have been duly noted. Uh, here's here, here's what I do want to move on to. How do how does I get back to the to, to to the congressman? Like, are you typing up a report? Do you bring it to them and hmm. and and say, well, we got seven. Uh, A fours, a nine against, and somebody asked me for my phone number.
1: Uh, I'd say usually it's anecdotal. So, um, if, if it's a situation where for some reason we got 10 calls about this particular issue, maybe we'd bring it up, but, but there too, I have to say it's, it's so difficult to actually figure out who cares. Yeah. Uh, so for one thing, like, I hope they're not using faxes anymore, or if they are, I hope that they all have got some kind of automated email program that just sorts it for them. Sure. When I was there, that was technology that, w- which was existent, but not technology we were utilizing. So we literally had a fax machine, uh, and, and people fax bomb. So. Uh, in my experience, angry people that want to yell at their congressman also want to yell at every other congressman and see no problem with sending a free fax yeah. to all 453 members. Um, so so for that reason, faxes are very unreliable. And unless, unless a constituent actually put in their address, in which case we would send them a response letter, uh, but – but if they didn't do that, it was like, well, the, the chances, there's a, about a one out of 453 chance this person's actually in our district. Um, Ditto with emails, which were less reliant at the time, although I think now most members have like a dedicated message page. So instead of emailing, you know joe.lieberman at Senate.gov or whatever you you go to their website. So I, I imagine that probably works better because they you got to put in your zip code. It's a, yeah, uh, yeah. There, like, there's there's controls you can have for a for a web yeah, form, but which so I I suspect that they've got better on that. Uh, it depended on the issue and it depended on um, how contentious it was and how uh, how intent the congressman was on getting metrics for it. I'll say the other thing too, like even with phone calls. Um, there's there's what's called phone banking. So there'll be some yep. lobbying outfit that um wants to uh, they're they're really up in arms about the the Lead Better Act. I don't even remember what the Lead Better Act was, but it was a thing back when I was on the Hill. And so uh, and it was horrible when you got phone banked. Cause what they would do is they would just call every constituent in your district and say, yeah. uh, Congressman Holden's thinking about cutting Medicare and Social Security. Do you have thoughts on this? And like weirdly enough, all old people have thoughts on yeah. that. And, and they go, would you like to talk to your congressman? And they go, yeah. And then and then I'd pick up. So from my perspective, somebody dialed a number to get me. But that didn't happen. They just got connected to one of these outfits. And and for oh, that reason, so it's they
0: a- would just three way call you
1: while they had this person on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then for a lot of people like because I, I never heard the phone call, but I, I assume it was either. An, it was probably even automated because people would they I'd pick up and go, hi, this is Andrew. Who am I speaking to? And they'd go, why did you call me? And I'd go, well, I, I, I didn't, sir. I'm just, I'm just, I picked from my perspective. Wow. I just picked up the phone, and they go, well, it said that you're thinking about cutting Social Security, and I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, who told good you that? Dogger. So for, for that, even phone calls for that reason weren't really great indicators. Now we did have good data that if somebody took the time to call you, it meant that they were, I think, five times more likely to vote. Yeah. So it, it was a thing where we took it seriously. Um, in in my experience, pretty much every politician I know, and I've met quite a few at this this point in my life. Politicians generally have a kind of pie chart approach towards how they're making decisions. So, let's say fifty percent of the pie chart is is locked in when they get elected. Yeah. I'm pro life or I'm pro choice. This is not something I'm going to waver on. I'm I'm pro union, whatever that thing is. they they don't. You, you, this is part of the deal when you elected me. And then a quarter of it is. Um, Stuff that they're leaning towards, but if their district really feels strongly about it, they'll they'll upend their position and say, you know, this is not something that's fundamental to my my uh, political orientation. I'm I'm willing to represent the the uh, opinion of the district. And then about a quarter of the stuff they don't care about, Uh, and and I don't mean that in a glib, flippant way. It's just it's just something that's not occurred to them previously, and they are relying on constituents to inform them of, you know, okay, I I had no thoughts on. federal fire truck insurance subsidies, but apparently that's a big deal in uh, in, in Pottsville or whatever. Uh, and so the, the Congressman was generally only trying to get information from us when it was either a really contentious vote because yeah. he was in a swing district as a blue dog, as with uh, like cap and trade or, or ACA, or uh, it was an issue where he really d- didn't have a specific preordained opinion on governance. And so wanted to hear from his district.
0: One of the things that's happening right now are uh, targeted advertising from groups, lobbying groups that will target a congressperson. Specifically, let's that, that we've seen it a lot now on both the Reconciliation Act and the build uh, and, and the bipartisan infrastructure uh, uh, stuff that is not an attack ad, but it's like. Everything but an attack ad. It is. It is like a mm-hmm. uh, uh, Josh Gottheimer said he'll never cave to Nancy Pelosi unless he gets blah blah blah. Like, well, it looks like he's about to cave. Tell him not to cave. Call this mm-hmm. right now. Were you on the uh, on, on on the business end of that, or or was it mostly just the phone banks and stuff like that?
1: Uh, I don't remember there being any attack ads, but then again, I wasn't there during a campaign year. Sure. Um, well I, again, I was, this is I not l- a
0: campaign this is literally right. just to pressure yeah. this vote here right now. So I, I, well, I, but I guess my larger question is, I don't know if that was in favor or if maybe the phone banks were more effective at the time. And now they've, you know, for whatever different spam call laws, they have,
1: they have moved on to, uh, to another less targeted so, version. So t- television influenced uh, influenced callers, but I don't remember there being I don't remember there being an association with specific uh, um, issue advertisements that led to that. What I noticed was that we would get a deluge of angry conservative calls more or less five minutes after Glenn Beck or uh, uh, one of the other conservative pundits program concluded. like you could gotcha. you could almost set your your clock by it of we were going to get phone calls. Uh, after specific Fox programming, so that would elicit. So, things, all right. so it, I guess like
0: 3, 3.05 after Rush is done, and then yes. you know like six, yes. 6.05 when when Glenn is done when he was still on Fox. Yeah, or
1: or, or or Sean Hannity I think would probably have been one of the other big ones back in the day. Yes, yeah. So so we we would definitely hear from from those folks, but I I don't remember there being specific advertisements that would elicit it. Although I like I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have heard them. Uh, Like, it's possible that a constituent would have said, you know, I just saw this advertisement that, but a lot of the time they just kind of jump into it. I'd say the stuff that was kind of frightening, Justin. Yeah. Uh, like like this is if anybody if anybody listening to the prayer like like I'm, I'm going to back up go uh you know back back during when when the when the Capitol Hill riots happened yeah. uh, actually prior to that prior to the Capitol Hill riots I was very you know like Trump is refusing to concede the election this yeah. is a really big deal this is not good I, like there was no wavering on my part and I had some people that were like man Heaton's kind of an elitist insider and. Listen, talk to a couple thousand mouth breathing idiots over the phone <laughs> as, a, as a constituent liaison. And, and it will it will rapidly suck out your appreciation for populism. Like, like I've, I've been through the gauntlet here. Like I once had a woman call me and say, uh, we've got too many Mexicans. We should add them to hunting season. That was one of her. That's what she Charming. thought would be a good Charming. way to deal with it. Now, granted, I think she was being sardonic. Uh, but then I, I'd have other people that would like call and go, you know, I just read this email that was forwarded by Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman said he was on a plane where Muslims were watching pornography backwards so they could see it in a mirror because it's OK to see porn on a mirror in Islam. And they were saying Islamic words and they were going to take the thing down. But then a marshal stopped. The the mainstream media is not reporting this. It's like, dude, you got sent a fake email. Yeah. This isn't real. But like but at least back in the day, my God, the amount of the amount of constituents that literally thought if they received an email that it had the same quality control measures as The Washington Post was incredible of just kind of walking them through basic, basic civic literacy and media literacy that that was it was uh, uh,
0: disturbing. It's crazy that Facebook went back in time and amplified that misinformation. Uh, uh, That's that's crazy that that uh, uh, social media did that. Uh, It's it's because that was invented when social media happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that there is certainly an element of you know, uh, 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 a democracy is something that I think even, you know, uh, uh, a misty eyed government uh, uh, appreciators or or, or Democratic uh, Republic appreciators like like you and I can can look at in this very glowing halcyon light. But I've also never had to take repeated phone calls with, uh, you know, random people yeah. yelling and screaming at me, which would probably, you know, uh, uh, you know, never meet your heroes, including democracy. Yeah.
1: Well, I like no I mean the upshot to it is, you know, I'm I'm a limited government guy, I'm a free enterprise guy, I want a I want a tiny competent government. I want a big Big hillock of freedom in the middle, yeah, and then I just kind of want like, uh, like those those bumper lanes you get at bowling alleys. Yeah, I want the government to do that. I want it to be on the edges, keeping people from falling off the rails. But I want just a bunch, a big mess in the middle, right? So, a, as one of these guys that that is inclined towards limited government, I have to say you're you're generally getting your bang for your buck with your congressman. Your congressman, despite how dumb you might think it is, he's probably a lot smarter than the average constituent. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've 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 hung out with a lot of congressmen now. I've hung out with. A lot. I'm not like I'm a constituent too sure. just as we're all, we're constituent, all constituents yeah. it's not like you're, you're not automatically an idiot no but there's a very high idiot ratio you're you're generally getting a higher IQ and then I'll say your your congressional staff you get an excellent bang from your buck from them like like I um th- th- so this is in 2010 I want to say when I left maybe 2011 uh like I'm I'm in my my early to mid twenties, I was making 30 K a year, yeah. $30,000. So this is 10 years ago, $30,000. Like it, like it would, it would not be sufficient for me at this time, no. but that's how much I was, I was making, I wouldn't have been making significantly more if I'd been on the policy side of it. Uh, but you have some really dedicated people that are, that are uh, putting in a lot of time and effort and skill set, And, and, and I, I gained a lot of respect for that. I, I, as a, as a shrink the government guy, I think we should be paying congressional staffs more uh, and, they, and they actually uh, just
0: passed a thing about that.
1: I think they they they, they, they okay. just changed the rules about staff pay. So, oh, interesting. Do you do you know how they did it? Because it used to just be like they'd give congressmen like a flat sum that they could allocate however they wanted.
0: Uh, you would have to look into it, but it was it was a thing that Pelosi like very recently mm. just did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So so everybody's yelling, everybody's screaming. You have informed the uh, uh, your 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 boss, the congressman, exactly what the will of, of the populace is, and did he take it or did he make his own, his own move?
1: Uh, yes, I, I think, I think both things happen simultaneously. I do not remember. I, I think that the district was, was leaning against ACA, as yeah. I recall. I, I, I think that, I think it was broadly, it wasn't like a slam dunk. Um, and this is years ago and I don't, obviously have the numbers sure. but i just yeah. based based on feeling i want to say it was like probably 70-30 in terms of that and and he and he voted with a district he voted against it uh, and um i don't know i i think that this is probably a good example of a congressman operating based off of the actual will of the constituency uh, i did not have any in-depth conversations with him about aca yep. back in the day that i can remember um but i i don't i don't think he was an ideologue on the subject i mean he was very much a a union guy. He wasn't fundamentally opposed to government interaction and things like that, but I, I, I think he represented the district. So I, I, th- I think he had a good idea. I will say, I think that congressmen rely far more heavily on um, the people that they meet than they do on the phone calls and emails, which are a lot more indirect. Yeah. So I, I think that if, if you're wanting to communicate with your congressman, you're going to have much more impact going to the pancake breakfast over at the Shriners Lodge. Or, or seeing them at the parade or something, then you are calling their office just because that's there, there's a, an availability bias that they're subject to like anybody else. Uh, and I, I suspect that on the, on the ground back in Pennsylvania... Um, That was probably his read of the situation.
0: And your message is going to have to get filtered through some gangly jamoke like Andrew Heaton. So,
1: you know, you got to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah.
0: Give me give me a sense of. He's going to say
1: snide things about you because of the dumb stuff you said about Gene Hackman an obviously cockamamie (laughs) email.
0: He's going to sit on it for 10 plus years before revealing (laughs) your dumbass Gene Hackman take on the politics, politics, politics show. Uh, uh, give me a sense of of the overall vibe in in Congress. Was was there like like an us versus them on on the votes? Like like how much do you interact with other people's staffs? Are you just pretty much in your own orbit? Uh, with, it's with your no, own it's, spaceship?
1: it's it's far more collegial than you would think. Yeah. Now, now, granted, I came there prior to the tea. Par- I I, le- I left right as the tea party was percolating. Okay. So the tea party was coming in to shout at us. Uh, but they hadn't they hadn't had the opportunity to vote yet, uh, and so I came in pre Tea Party from an electoral standpoint. I am told by my friends that remained on the Hill that, that did have a a a, a kind of um, animus effect yeah. on the Hill to some extent. Uh, and I've certainly not been there during the Trump years, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if if that had a chilling effect as well. But even then, I would bet that it's still a lot more collegial than than the average American would assume um for two reasons. First of all, Washington's a lot more collegial than people assume. Yeah, uh, in Washington, if you can't be convivial with people you disagree with, that is a professional liability for you. And, and l- unless you are your whole life is in a very specific advocacy role within a, within an echo chamber environment, um you're not going to get very far in Washington. And a significant amount of the people on the hill are going to go on to work in lobbying firms. Yep. That's and and we this is – we've incentivized that structure. Unless Miss Pelosi fixed that, I, I wasn't going to stay there making $30,000 a year until I was 30. Yeah. Uh, and so – and I certainly wanted to do it with a kid. Um, so that, that happens, right? Well, you need to be able to make friends with other people. That's just – that's professionally going to happen. You also live in a city full of uh, kind of extroverted – hockey-type people that like circulating at cocktail parties. Uh, when I was on the Hill, I had lots of friends that were, were bipartisan. I, I'm still friends with a bunch of them. I'm still friends with people from my, my softball team um, that I visit when I'm in Washington, D.C. Some of them were Democrats that I, I think were, uh, for the most part, working for, for blue log offices like myself. A couple of them are still on the Hill now in the Senate. Um, some of them were Republicans. And it really didn't make it an issue. Now, granted, it may not have for me because me me working for a blue dog, I was functionally in a it, moderate yeah, third In party. in
0: in a purple situation yeah. where
1: you could yeah, you, I, I, you had I to talk for, to both people. Yeah. Right. So so but 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 even then, I I don't think that it made a huge deal. Like like I was next door to uh Joe when I, when I worked for for uh for Dan, I, I I was next door to Joe, um I can't remember the guy who screamed you lie. Uh, during the uh, the State of the Union address, if you remember back in the yeah, day, yeah. Hold on, keep going, uh, keep going. I'll
0: figure it out. So he he
1: he's a Republican office, and uh, and we're we're next door to the Republican office, and um uh his boss yells, you lied during the State of the Union address. And so Joe like Wilson. I swung by Joe Wilson, Joe Joe Wilson. Oh man, he would he would like for a week whenever he left the office, he just pretended to be on the phone. So he wouldn't have to talk to anybody because everybody wanted to yell at him. Oh my god! But everybody, everybody wanted to yell at his his staff. And so, like, I came in and I don't, I don't think I gave him a beer or anything, but I was just like, "Hey guys, like, I know you're going through hell. Like, find me at the bar. I'm going to buy you a pint." Because uh, I, I, I knew what they were going yeah. through. Um, I, I'll say that generally speaking, and and maybe this isn't true in in certain states, but um, there's generally a camaraderie with the rest of your state delegation. Uh, oh, with, so with, all, all all the Pennsylvania people stick
0: together. Yeah. All the New York people stick together. Yeah. And that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, that like yeah the the Pennsylvania like we were friends with with people. I was friends with people in Pennsylvania offices that were were uh, both Republican and Democrat, and then and then in Oklahoma too. Like, I mean, gr- granted, Dan is about is like if 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 Dan Bourne had been born like eighteen feet west, he would have been a Republican. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, but like, you know, that it really wasn't a big deal. Like Dan um would he'd invite the like we got to meet a bunch of cool people through him, like Leon Panetta, who was then head of the CIA yep. and and Anthony Scalia. Uh, and and he would invite all the interns from the Oklahoma delegation to come come meet. Um I I and, and then plus on top of that, like the other thing you need to socially remember the staff are ages generally twenty-two to twenty-eight. That's probably most of the Hill staffers. I, there's I, there's a people that are above that, but generally speaking, in terms of constituent liaisons like myself and just basic legislative assistants, the, the median age is probably 27. And then, and then you, get, you do get chiefs of staff and LDs, legislative directors who are career, who will be in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, but, but that's two people out of the entire office. Most of the office has been out of college less than 10 years and is in a town where they don't know a lot of people is kind of horny and drunk a lot. Got gotcha. you. Those are the people running your government, and that's fine during the day. We were fine. But at night, we all kind of want to blow the lid off of it and make out with that that cute blonde from, you know, Wilson's office, whoever down the hall. Yeah. And uh, in, in my case, because I have too much respect for the institution, I never made out in, inside of Congress. Uh, I did drink there a lot. Sure. Uh, but, but after hours, after hours, say. After hours. And, and if anybody thinks I'm a lush, everyone in Congress, I mean, Congress is just it is it is piles of marble floating in a, a tub of bourbon. Every <laughs> office on the hill has at least two handles of bourbon in it at any given time. And you're thinking, not our guy, Mike Lee. Absolutely. Yes. Your Mormon senator has an office full of bourbon. He's not drinking it, I guarantee you his staff is. Uh, so there's a lot of conviviality going on there. Um, you're in the trenches. You're dealing with it. You're like uh, – I, I was on a um, an exchange serve with all the other staff assistants because we had like a, an economy going on. Yeah. Because uh, what what happens is what, one of the duties of, of uh, staff assistants is that it's your job to coordinate White House visits for constituents. Um, the White House, at least while I was there, and I think this is a done deal in perpetuity, doesn't want to ever reject people from coming to the White House. So it outsources it to congressmen. That way they have to deal with – uh, the negative side yeah. of turning you down, uh, it, but as a result, congressmen get like I don't know, twenty passes a month or something to go on a White House visit. So you might be in a situation where you're like, I, you know, oh man, we, we really want to get this person and, and their family to be able to see the White House. We're at all these passes. Does anybody have any spare passes? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, we've got spare passes. But, you know, can I have that? We'll we'll pay you back later or whatever. So you, you end up getting to know them. But then you're you're on a chat room all day. You're in, in what I'm sure today is Discord or Slack. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're going, you know, God, I, I'm really hung over. Is anybody from Florida got any orange juice? Cause all the, all the districts, they all have did.
0: their own things.
1: Yeah. They get free party favors from, from their district. We had like peanuts or something stupid like that. <laughs> but like, like the man, orange juice is great. Uh, And uh, so so you you get to know him because you swung by to get orange juice while you were hungover. So even during a moment where
0: there is like you got to get the you got to get the vote or like there's a holdout vote or it's a close vote or something like that. Like even even then everybody understands, hey, look, that's the front of the house, you know, here for us in the staff. We're all just trying to answer phone calls and get out of here. Whenever we can.
1: I, I think so. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there is, there, there no doubt there's going to be personality uh, types that are attracted to working on the Hill because they are uh, ideological firebrands. Um, I didn't actually encounter that many of them. I'm sure they're there. Uh, and I'll, I'll say it even goes up. Like one of the things that I found surprising working on the Hill was how convivial the members of Congress are with each other. That yeah. you wouldn't know about like, so I know you and I have talked about this in the past, but uh, uh, Inhofe and Barbara Boxer. Inhofe is a very yep. conservative Republican from Oklahoma. Barbara Boxer is a very progressive uh, uh, senator from California. Um, they're good friends. Yeah. Like to the point where like like Inhofe would like bait her to come to Oklahoma to campaign for his opponent because he knew he would get a, a surge in the polls. Yeah. <laughs> like he knew that it, the best. But at the same time, they would literally like fight like cats and dogs in a Senate committee meeting. And then they go get dinner together. Yeah. Uh, and and I, 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 that 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 was to, to me seemed to be a lot more normal. Uh, a lot of congressmen are, um, they are kicking up more of a partisan dust storm than they actually mean. Yeah. And uh, and and behind the doors, they they've got more of a buddy element than you would anticipate.
0: Very, very, very informative. A behind the scenes look, uh, at least at the framework of what is likely happening right now. Heaton to pivot. Off of this subject, a lot of rumors largely being spread by me on this show (laughs) that uh, 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 you might be you might be moving. You might indeed be moving to Texas,
1: indeed, to Austin, Texas, where I live now. Can you confirm or deny this? Uh, I I will momentarily. Do you mind if I put in one more observation about Congress? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing could be more on brand for you. Of course. Great. Uh, so, having been inside of the institution, having spoken to several congressmen now, post post that experience, the most notable one being uh, uh, Justin Amash, who came on my program about six months yeah. ago. Not not to talk about libertarian boilerplate, mind you, but I, I just wanted to talk to him about, that, about a Congress. Um, I think what would benefit that institution more than anything else would be if committees elected their own committee chair. And I realize that sounds like a weird procedural side note, but here's why. Uh, you hear people saying just how expensive it is to run for Congress and how expensive it is to run for the Senate. It's not really. Uh, about 80% of the districts in America are completely safe. Uh, in, in 2020, we had a, a 7% federal turnover rate in elected offices. 93% of the offices that were up for grabs in in, two, in 2020, I should say it's, it's all elected offices. That includes uh, uh, county and state levels. Yeah. 93% of them were retained by the party. That went in with them. It's not a high turnover rate. Congressmen aren't worried about losing money. But in Congress, those committee chairs are passed out based on how much money they can raise for the party, which is why congressmen spend 20 to 30 percent of their time phone banking and shaking people down for contributions. It's not for their campaign. It's for the DNC and the GOP. And that and, and ends up by, by the way,
0: for folks now, if you are into this, this fo- tracking stuff like this. Watch for people from very safe seats, either in Congress or in the Senate, that are raising a gigantic amount of money because it ain't so they can run ads saying vote for me because doy. It's so they can
1: kick it back into the party and and, and get these influential spots. And and, and that's that. That is how they are rewarded. That is how our, our incentive structure in the United States Congress is not currently rewarding anybody. For being convivial. Now that happens somewhat on a personal level, but there's no incentive right now to do that, which is a whole nother talk about open primaries and ranked choice voting. But in terms of the actual just institution itself, it would be of tremendous value just to have committees appoint their own chair where everybody takes a vote because that would remove that incentive. It would allow congressmen to actually focus on their job. And yes, I'm moving to Austin, Texas
0: hey there we go there we go there <laughs> yeah we this go, is, this, ladies is and gentlemen. this is breaking
1: I I haven't even said this on my program my my old listeners don't know this yet I sh- I should that's why
0: I have that's why I have the journalism
1: degree because
0: yeah, that's know, right. I, I get <laughs> I get to the situation I get the goods
1: I am so excited I am so excited to go back down to Austin Justin I uh, it, it's a fun city um you, you're there Brian's there I have other friends there. Um, so I anticipate that being a really good social environment, I think it's to be a really creative because I'm going to get to collaborate with you and Brian more, which is going to be awesome. Yep. And, uh, and I'm going to compensate for the heat by just going to Scotland four months a year during the summer. So <laughs> I, I think this new plan of living in Austin, eight months on and in Scotland four months on is a pretty good fit for me. I think I can make this work. I think, I think you're going to be
0: a okay, uh, uh, for the listeners here uh i i will i will say you know with all all all, all cheeky teasing aside uh Heaton and i have not really talked about ways that that we will collaborate regularly but i can only suspect that it will be somewhere between where we are now and uh the 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 amount of of crossover that you saw during the november uh uh month when you were up in in oakland and and we were doing all the stuff leading into the election but i i would suspect that you'd be able to uh, uh, you know, oh, you know I, count I,
1: on more, more abs- regular Heaton and Justin content. Absolutely, I just had on John Mc- McWhorter on the program this week. It took me two years to get that guy. I just drive over to your house. It's way oh, easier to get you. Easy, <laughs> easy. So why, why would I do that?
0: Uh, uh, well, I'm thrilled. I'm very, very excited that you're moving down. I'm very excited to uh, to work with you more on podcast stuff uh, and and anything else that pops into our dumb heads. So uh, I, I am. I'm super thrilled. Uh, Andrew Heaton, The Political Orphanage, of course. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to congratulate... Andrew Heaton for moving down to Austin, Texas, putting us both for the first time ever permanently in the same city. You can head on over to px3guest.com. If you want to email the show? It's a very simple process. You just head on over to the email program of your choice and you dial in the young American at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at px3tweets. You can see our live streams at px3live.com. If you'd like to share this podcast with friends, family, clergy, local representation, you can do so by sending them the very simple and, dare I say, attractive URL of px3podcast.com. And especially because Christmas is coming up, Hanukkah's coming up, Kwanzaa's coming up, you want to get a gift for the politically inclined person in your life, politics merch. By the way, if you want to give us a one-time donation, just a little tip to say uh, thank you for doing this. You can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. We got a bunch of people looking to see whether or not uh, Venmo Cash is real. Here we go. Let's see. Where where was where was the last one? Where was the last one? Oh, Venmo's not loading. Venmo's just not Here we go. Here we go. Alec. Alec says, "This is a real buck or is it fantasy?" Caught in a quandary, no escape from insanity. Open your, ba- open your mind and bankers will find a way. It needs no bank fees, furnish no sympathy. Anyway, take it. I'm still glad you make the show. Here you go. And that was pretty much it. Thank you, Alec, for writing a uh, (laughs) queen-inspired message there. That's real. That's a real Venmo dollar. Our cash app is PX3 Cash. And by the way, you can always send anything physical to our P.O. Box. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas. I got some political merch from uh, James. James from Australia. And I guess James ran for office in Australia. Uh, uh, Because he sent me a bunch of his own merch. I've got a ton of James merch as well. As some dong. I got some dong, baby. I got 10,000 dong in my hand right now. Yep. The Vietnamese currency. He sent me a bunch of Vietnamese currency as well as a shirt as well as a magnet. Thank you James. Uh I don't know based on your note whether or not I'm I'm presuming you you did win or did not win. It's a 2009 shirt and the dong that I was given was $4.50. So that's nice. I feel like that's a pretty good idea. Of course, if you want any of our bonus content, you can do so at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week, covering all the news that we miss on our regular show. And uh, the $10 tier gets you that, plus your name read at the end of the program, including... Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Nemeister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dakince Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or spy? D really? And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Pop Gold, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Double K Ranch, Ye Olde Pinball Shop... John, Snuffies off Route 44, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, D. Lazer, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, The Jen, Will, J. Pink, and Andrew. You want to get your name listed there? Friend, there's only one place you go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That wraps it up for us today. The money man, Dave Leventhal, joins us on the program on Friday. And we're going to research some of the biggest props before Election Day. Oh, yeah, by the way, we're, we're less than a week away from Election Day. I mean, it's kind of a boring Election Day, but still, still. Still, it's an election day, and it's an important local election day, so familiarize yourself with the props, the props that you're going to have to vote for, the proposition votes. Uh, Go ahead and look out for that on Friday. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more. Discuss politics. But this, this is the only program that dares broach Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio. Politics.
1: Politics. Politics.